Hey Gems, welcome back to the show. Let's not waste any time and jump straight into the topic. Welcome to the show. So go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Wala El Sheikh, or if you want to phonetically go with it, it's Wala El Sheikh. I am the co-founder and CEO of Birthright Africa, a nonprofit organization committed to providing a free educational trip for every youth and young adult of African descent. And we do that in collaboration with our education partners to uh, instill pride, enhance confidence, and spark that creativity that ensures that our scholars can fulfill on their career, life goals around leadership, entrepreneurship, and just a bright future. I love everything that Birthright Africa stands for. It's wild that, you know, I found it when I did um, because we kind of share the same, the same ideology and making sure that young people are able to have this experience. And I really would love to know how it is that, uh, you know, you got to creating Birthright Africa. Is there a story behind that? Oh, there is definitely a story. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. Uh, like most people who grew up in New York City. So just let me give a background on who I am because it actually explains why uh, and the answer to this question. I was born in Sudan, but raised in America primarily since the age of 11. Immigrated here after living abroad, mostly in Sweden and then Uganda as a child of diplomatic parents. Typical sort of like, you know, diplomatic story and we would live in Sudan in between countries. So I experienced growing up in Sudan at seven and again at 10 for about a year or so at a time, but went to all international westernized schools. Like in Uganda, it was an American international school. So literally you plop me from this American international environment and we land in New York, I'm in an American international environment, right? <laughs> New York City is just like melting pot. And yes, we have pockets of like segregated neighborhoods, we happen to be in Queens, which has basically every world language. And then the neighborhood within Queens was Briarwood, which was a melting pot, which is kind of rare. But I'm going from a cocoon of multiculturalism to another. And that's my viewpoint as a child. Like I'm just this global citizen. If we are the world, which is actually one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> don't sleep, don't sleep. Written by two of the best songwriters ever. And that's just my lens. Right. And I'm in New York City, which just seems to affirm that. And so like most of us who are in New York, there's a large Jewish population here and you end up having friends or colleagues. Mm -hmm. I had friends at that point of uh, Jewish descent. Now I'm in my mid 20s who were going on a birthright Israel journey. And they're telling me they're getting a 10 day trip for free to learn their history and culture. And I was just like, it blew my mind. I was like, you're getting a 10 day trip for free. So that was the first thing, cause I love free stuff, one. And two, I had started already going through this process of, I would say towards the late teens, of realizing like how much I didn't know about our history. Mm -hmm. My own history as a Sudanese person, African person, mm -hmm. black history at that point, I had friends that we're starting to check my thinking around America being this place of exceptionalism and, you know, 
my family escaped persecution from a dictatorship and we came here for education and opportunity. Like that's literally, right? Like the prototype immigrant viewpoint reminded every other week by your parent, we came here for your education. Yeah. So like, All right, so I'm gonna get these A's, I'm gonna get a job and get an opportunity and progress just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then you start learning from your African-American friends or even at this point, it was a Congolese American friend but had lived in America all her life growing up in Florida, like South Park. Mm where she was like, well, I do know what happened to Black people in America. And I looked at her, I think, and I was just like, in my mind, I was like, no, I don't. Hmm. And so then I'm realizing like, oh, okay, that is that part of this other narrative around struggle that I don't really understand? Like, what is this disparity that Black people face? Right. Because I'm not experiencing it like I didn't grow up in the hood I didn't grow up around a lot of that kind of experience and so she just was checking me on my ideology around mm -hmm. this country and I was at the same time then learning about this birthright Israel so I was like wait a minute I need this like <laughs> I need to understand this African history this black history and I'm from the continent if I need this, then a whole bunch of us must need this. And this is such an incredible big idea. I want to be a part of starting Birth White Africa. At the time, I'm at, at, 20, at like 24 in finance. I'm like, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. All I knew was I had to be a part of it because I realized I was like, this is a duality that I understand. And I want to just help bring it into fruition. So I registered the website in 07. Uh, got lucky that it was available. So for all of y'all that are like, <laughs> like you just said, right? Who <laughs> came up and were like, why don't we have this? Actually, so we're here. I just got the, the heads up earlier than most. And uh, I felt I could build up my skills, my career, my understanding and make that transition to luckily education, which ended up being the passion that I uh, brought the birthright mission into because I realized this is an educational thing I just didn't know how and so the last over the last 10 years prior to launching full-time into it I built that understanding and uh, that's a whole nother angle about how do you go from a concept mm -hmm. to such a big idea and I wanted to be responsible to the culture to ensure that I was building it in a way where all of us could be a part of it. Because again, I knew I wasn't the only one. And every third person I speak to basically was like, oh, I thought of Birth about Africa, but I saw that you did it, great. And that's been the really uh, phenomenal thing to see and experience and hear is that no one's trying to compete. Like right. we're not competing. This idea that we're crapping in a barrel and like trying to get at, no. We, we're, we're working as a village, as a true African village to move this forward. It's such a beautiful story because I was reading, you know, some of the articles out on, on the story. And I remember seeing that you, you did register the site in 07. And I was like, wow, you know, you didn't, it's not that you were registering it and just straight into execution, but to mm -hmm. be committed to the long haul, I guess, if that makes sense, knowing that yeah. 
we don't have it all fleshed out right now, but it will be fleshed out at some point. And so let me just do the piece that I can in this moment and then yep. allow for the other parts to kind of make themselves clear and apparent as I go. And so I think that's so beautiful because I think what happens a lot of times is people hold themselves back because they don't have it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. so maybe it's just you need to take one step <laughs> yeah, and, and then start from there. You know what I mean? So I love that you mentioned that. Absolutely. And literally the first thing I tell people is if you have an idea, it's a brand, it's a name that you have to get online before you even incorporate. And so mm. that is what I luckily figured out because I had a business background. I was working in finance at the time. <laughs> so that was the sort of the blessing. But at the same time, I knew better than to, because the opposite can also happen. Instead of holding yourself back, some people jump in mm. way too quickly without enough skills, knowledge, or network yeah. to understand what they're doing. And they may make such a big mistake early on that they give up too quickly. Mm. So you have to figure out what the balance of it all. And for me, because again, Birthright Africa is such a powerful vision and mission, I wanted to um, build up my skills, knowledge, and network to, to be able to do it in a way that it would have the impact because ultimately that's what it's about. And luckily, the timing really all worked out. And in 2017, we piloted the first cohort after incorporating in 2015. And I brought in my co-founder who introduced us to the City University of New York, because that was the education partner relationship that catapulted everything. Mm -hmm. And he and I have just, you know, been um, really amazing partners. That's another thing. Find the right people <laughs> and uh, find them early on. I love it. So it was 10 years then from when you bought the website to when you went on the first trip, you said 2017. So what so let's, let's give you the full timeline. The idea popped in my head. My friends were going on their birthright and I actually asked this question in 2004. I waited three years. I got lucky. Nobody purchased the website <laughs> and I purchased it in 20, 2007 incorporated in 2015, but the first cohort, like you said, was 2017. So between website registration and the mm -hmm. first cohort, that's exactly 10 years. From the moment that I thought of the idea mm -hmm. to when I went full time, because I was still juggling, right? Mm -hmm. You still like in entrepreneurship, you're juggling, making sure you have mm -hmm. income. That was 15 years. And so we built out this idea of a 15 year legacy of innovation, mm -hmm. uh, career entrepreneurial map that we have all our scholars uh, consider for themselves as part of the birthright experience. Because what is all this pride and confidence in learning the history and the contributions, both past and present, starting actually in the U.S., because right. we have a birthright here too. Let's be very clear. And mm -hmm. folks are trying to like switch <laughs> the stories around, right, right now. Um, and then it culminates on the continent. So you see the totality of your greatness. Mm. And then past, present, and now you are the future, future global leader and entrepreneur to continue to um, aspire and really reap the rewards of your creativity and the wealth, right? Essentially the wealth that was stolen when we were enslaved and colonized. That was it. Yeah. We were amazing, great civilizations running our empires, yeah. coming up with the most advanced of technologies, educational systems, agriculture, the Europeans came to us to trade in and mm -hmm. learn from 
and realized all these resources on this content. And we're like, hey, wait a minute. Wait, we could make so much more money if we just mm. create a system where we can, mm. you know, suppress, oppress, kill, rape, murder. Like, it was just an economic system. Right. And that's why we have to bring it back to this is about us gaining and attaining mm-hmm. our leadership in the world like we were and therefore the wealth. And finally, with Black Lives Matter, we're talking about where are the Black leaders? Well, hello, we've had all these gaps. <laughs> yeah, Educational, cultural, a whole economic system of oppression. But you know what? We're reclaiming the history. Mm. I'm getting goosebumps as you're speaking because it, 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 like, I feel it in my being, you know? <laughs> and, and birthright, it's not just about a trip. It's not just about, you know what I nope. mean? There's so many, there's so many layers to the importance of having, you know, a, a an opportunity like this really necessary yeah. to, to connect with yourself. Birthright is you were born this way. You were born royalty. You were born wealthy in your mind and in your spirit and your soul. You were born, you know what I mean? With all these things that, you know, that the narrative got stolen and changed and then refed yeah. to us. So yep. we forget and we need to be reminded and return to that, that birthright, like what we know to be true. And so I think it's so necessary to have the conversations. I'm so glad to hear that, you know, everything fell into place. And I love that you're sharing, um, you know, the, the reality of the process, because I really just feel like, I don't know if it's a generational thing or whatever, that people Mm -hmm. think things need to just happen really quickly. When it's like, (laughs) no, if it's about your purpose and it's about your legacy, like that's a Mm -hmm. lifetime, that's your, that's your lifetime. (laughs) This is your life's work (laughs) that that you're doing. And so really playing for the long haul and planning for the long haul um, is going to be what really helps you to, to set the pace, make it sustainable. So you don't burn out and give up. Like you mentioned. Um, Let me tell you, and that's what the system of racism wants you to Mm. let's be very clear because I was very blind to it. I can now look back and see that I was dealing with microaggressions and possibly even racism, but I was so oblivious. And Mm. you know, us as immigrant children, when we're fed that narrative, like, you know, in a lot of ways we have um, an advantage than Mm -hmm. our black American counterparts because by not knowing all this devastation that happened to some degree, we just blinded by, oh, I can work hard, get an opportunity and progress. Yep. And Right? And so in a lot of ways, it it made me blind to the things that were supposed to be a roadblock. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I was still working twice as hard. I was still questioning whether I was perceived as a leader because I didn't see a lot of me at right. Goldman Sachs. Um, and I needed to understand where that came from. Like there was a stigma being placed on me, if right. anything, that it wasn't of me, right? Like worried that if I make a mistake, oh man, I screwed it up for all of us now. Mm. And so you, you, you're still walking around with that. And that's why it's still important for us as first generation, or in my case, it's 0.5 generation, because I came at 11. I wasn't born here, so I don't know what generation that makes me. <laughs> so we still have our hangups, too, because let's be clear. I was proud to assimilate out of being Sudanese. Right. That's the hangup we got. I'm, just, I'm having chills just talking about we it. We got our own version of that. <laughs> our own version of the, you know, I call it white consciousness, thinking mm. you just have to work hard and get opportunity. But we have to understand we are part of this history that was oppressed as well in colonization. It may not be as, you know, devastating over the number of years in the same way enslavement was, 
Yeah. Um, but our parents also escaped, right? Hmm. From, in a lot of ways, some of the tragedies and the dictatorship. And that was a cutoff of our cultural connection to self. And they did as best that they could. I grew up in a very Sudanese home. Mm-hmm. But everywhere else, my world was American. Right. Friends. And then to me, you know, in my culture, growing up Arab Muslim, I felt oppressed as a girl child. Wait, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't, I can't talk to boys. I can't have boys as friends. I can't wear this. It was like, wait, oh, I can't. Oh, but America says I can. And I'm an individual and I have freedom. Oh, so my aspirations were very American for that (laughs) reason alone. But I didn't know the price of that freedom, especially as a Black individual, were waiting for me. And so that's why the birthright is still necessary for us to understand that you assimilating out of a culture that ultimately was um, devastated by the capitalistic Hmm. motivations of colonization right it's not that there's something oppressive or wrong or like these dictators just came out of nowhere right there's a whole global economic Hmm. system based on racism and oppression and so our parents did the best that they could to to at least survive yeah and that's where we have to kind of raise our consciousness as the children Mm -hmm. and say you know they were just scared, right? Like, or they just had to, to survive. And so if they said, you couldn't do this or you can't do that, they don't understand the culture. They don't understand the society here um, in the way that they would have had they been with their own uh, families and villages. And so I had to come to that understanding and realize like, you know what? I don't have to look at the culture through the lens of my parents' fear right. anymore. Yeah. I can look at it from the lens of the pride of a history of a people that created and invented and ran hmm. kingdoms and xyz i'm having chills just talking about i'm this. having That's, chills <laughs> I'm, I'm just like actually fully capturing this for myself um and that is why again people probably are like but you're from africa do you really need to no, if you've yes. grown up years in a dominant <laughs> yes. white culture, yes, mm-hmm. I'm basically just like you. I just don't have the generational stories right. of enslavement. I have some of the stories of colonization, but my parents didn't talk to me about those things as much as most parents don't talk to Black American children about the stories of enslavement because it felt so painful or shameful. Mm-hmm. But we're asking for those stories because we need to reframe the narrative and be proud and yes. know that it wasn't something inherent in us it was again an economic system systems placed on a people for the power and advantage of another group and so when you pull and tease that out you can then regain the pride in who you are and always were in history to the present to the present that is a whole word. We could stop right there if we wanted to and just, <laughs> everybody needs to go back and listen to it a second time, pull your notepad out, take some notes, because I know you done felt right. something in the meantime. You know, it's mm-hmm. really, the more that I do my own work, the more that I work with, um, you know, other young people that look like me and, ha- and that don't look like me, the more that I realize mm-hmm. there's so much diversity in our experiences. Mm-hmm. And a part of that oppression is is to say that we all have the same experience 
as yes the monolith yes no we all have different experiences so you might be an immigrant with a different experience than someone who was born you know what i mean in america and grew up here um and and the the opportunities the options are endless for people's experiences to be diverse and so culturally diverse you know religiously spiritually diverse um and for us to be able to like you said you've encountered people and it's only it's been love you know what i mean collaboration and love and that's who we are from our birthright is collective and loving regardless of the differences in our culture and things like that so let's get to the birthright trip because that yes. is a palpable feeling all the scholars feel when they're on the continent. Oh. It never fails. The two times that I've gone, so the 2017 cohort I went with and last year I went in 2019. And it is just like palpable. They feel this collectivism and this like mm-hmm. spirit of togetherness, even in difficulty and struggle. Like I don't have to be fearful of you. Let's actually work together. Yeah. And there's always that feeling of home. And it happens in different moments for different people. Some people, it is literally the moment they step on the ground, off the plane, or right out of the airport. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, this looks like Jamaica. Or this (laughs) looks like Barbados. Like, I get this. Or the way they're engaging with the locals. And it's like an all-Black experience, maybe that you have in your neighborhood in East Lapush somewhere, right? Or the way some kind of food tastes. Oh, this is like my grandmama's mm. the Black South. It, it's in the music, right? Or just the way we like to be musical and together yes. and dancing and joyful. That is very African-centered. And you see that all the way into the birth of hip-hop. Right. Right? The birth of hip-hop was literally out of this devastation of um, an economic time and an oppression of Black and Brown people because Puerto Ricans were a vital part of hip hop creation. And so in times of being, you know, enslavement and colonized, mm. the, the music was a survival technique and creativity came out of that. Creativity comes out of the struggle. But at the same time, you also see the opposite. Like we dispel the myth of war, poverty and disease because mm. that's the other issue that we have. That was the one thing I also, as an African immigrant child, at least I knew that much, having been there at seven and 10. But yeah. I can imagine if you're an, a first-generation African immigrant child who's never gone home, mm. you probably have the same misperceptions too. I didn't have that because I was like, I've been in my country <laughs> where like, you know, the lawyers, the doctors were yep. black. So like, let's be clear. And people are living in mega compounds <laughs> and living nice and... um you know, we have our own versions of oppressions and economic struggles there. Let's not get it twisted. But not everyone is in a hut or destitute or on a tree or living amongst the animals. Like we have vibrant metropolitan cities, people doing so well that they would never come to America. Let's be clear. And now we got the whole Blackzit, Blackzitus, I don't know what's even, I think it's called Blackzit. This idea that like, oh, I may need to leave America. I've been on that since 2012. Let's be clear. <laughs> I got my Ugandan passport. Red D. Red. I don't even have my Sudanese passport. <laughs> I just know. <laughs> I just been. I've been telling people get your backup country ready since 2012 because I felt attention coming. Uh-huh. I didn't think it was going to be this soon mm. and in this way. And because of who yep. is in office, who I'm so ashamed as a New Yorker, but. Mm. Um, 
All that to say, that's why I'm so proud of the mission and the timeliness of us having me ins like ensuring that it at least came alive in 2015 yeah. <laughs> because I could, we could have never predicted this. Yeah. And then this need to connect to the, the pride of who you are, because when you're attacked for who you are, that's actually when you seek out to, to affirm the opposite. Yep. It happened for me in my Islam. Because I was like, who is he talking about being terrorist as a Muslim? Right. And I was like, I know Islam is about peace. Like, that's mm -hmm. literally the definition of the word. And I know Muslim people. My parents are Muslim, even if I didn't fully identify with it right. at the time. And it made me connect to it more and identify. And now I fast. Like, that's my practice mm -hmm. in Islam. I consider myself a spiritual Muslim. Um, it's just, it's so interesting. And so the more they're learning this history and I, like I said we start local and national yes. so the New York cohorts have gone to the African burial ground that's actually here in New York City we have one um we co heritage center the first free African-American settlement in the 1860s in New York we go to the African-American history uh museum of African-American history and culture and this is the other unique part about birthright because I'm so focused about this being about your economic access right. and attainment we ensure that they meet leaders and entrepreneurs mm. of african descent throughout the journey local national and of course the african leaders right. and entrepreneurs there because you need to see yourself at the highest level yes to aspire to them and believe that you can and so yes. just folks that are 5 10 15 years older than them that are vice presidents of this corporation or raising millions for their tech company mm -hmm. have these amazing brilliant ideas or artists that are really pushing the needle and being unique in themselves because they have a pride mm. they have a confidence they know self have been to the continent many of them and that's the networking that's the, the access yes. to a, to a network of people because you don't have to get your opportunity through a white person. I think subconsciously, I didn't even think about getting an opportunity through a black person, right? And yeah, we're, we're positioning, yeah, we're positioning them to be those global leaders and entrepreneurs. And with all this diversity inclusion initiative, our whole impact, num like the number we're trying to impact, is that. And we've been saying this since 2015. It's not anything new just because of what's <laughs> happening now. There's only 2% of us nationally that are of African descent that are managers, leaders, and owners. Wow. As compared to what, right? 14%. And so for me, that's the number. That's when we move the needle. And I'm so happy that this latest round of mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter movement has included where are the Black leaders and the entrepreneurs? They've been, we've been systemically left out. Yep. And so all this investment and the talk and the, you know, a lot of companies are walking the walk. And, and that's another way for them to engage in birthright. Like we're literally creating that pipeline. And I want to make sure our scholars and alumni know now more than ever that who you are does not have to be suppressed or overcome. It's not something to get over. You're, like, I, I know I walked around with that. Like, you know, da, da, right. lowering the personality a little bit or, you know, we got the woman thing on top of that. Like, let's not even go there. Your hair, but your presentation, whatever. Your hair, you know, 
code switching, <laughs> having to, you know, there's a level of code switch that makes sense that's professional, but then there's like, like I see how I interact when I'm in an all black professional environment versus when I'm not. Yeah. There's such a comfort level. And now I'm at a place where I can do that even in, in a non right. all black professional environment. And that's the point. Yes. That you could still really be your full self in your African self that doesn't somehow become a threat or something to be concerned is not professional or culturally accepted. That's the goal. We're over that now because Black Lives Matter. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Everything you're saying is just hitting the nail on the head and it's so wild. I, you know, the internet, the technology is a lot. But it's also really been, I feel great for people that are Mm -hmm. showing up on purpose, you know? And so I'm so glad that for those using the internet and using social media strategically, that it can really Mm -hmm. connect people that wouldn't have otherwise been connected or been able to be exposed to each other um, so that we can kind of accelerate that process, right? So that the growth can occur much faster um, than otherwise for that reason. So I wonder, you know, for the people that have gone on a trip, what are some of the Mm -hmm. things that they say either on the trip or after the trip as far as how it affected them? Oh, so I want to say, you know, this is in our CNN article, which I highly recommend because Shayna Lewis in particular, like she was talking about the healing, mm. healing effect. Because there's a lot of us, and I now get it because I've never been so angry in my life. Mm. Like I am the, I'm an angry black woman right now and I am unapologetic about it. But the birthright trip for our scholars and what it does even for me as a leader of the birthright organization is it reminds me, it heals me to know that I am connected to this greatness in history that cannot be taken away, Hmm. no matter what you say to me, and I can access it. I think it felt inaccessible. A lot of our young people never imagined themselves going to the continent at the age that they were going to go. They had a deep desire, most of them, to go. There's a few that definitely were like, oh, we'll see, I'll try it. And then even them, they're just (laughs) like, It gives them this renewed energy and boost. They just feel like so much more confident in the possibility of their dream coming true. Mm. Especially if you felt like a system of racism, such as the young black men, was Mm. just going to be so insurmountable. We've also had people literally like, yo, everything's a lie. (laughs) Everything that's been taught to us is a lie. Like, (laughs) oh my God. I remember specifically being at the Washington DC airport, we were transitioning uh, or connecting to get to our flight and the two young men were right next to me and they're like, yo, it's all been a lot. And, and I was like, what? Wow, that was, a, that was deep. I wasn't expecting to see that beat. But then I realized, oh, okay, but I've always known it. Since right. I remember being a child looking at all these like African images like, why are they only showing this part? <laughs> So, but if you've been growing up with that all yeah. your life and then at 20, you finally see the opposite. You're like, oh, they've been lying to us. And the other Santa one for the Claus young- isn't real, you know? Like, like, right, like like Santa Claus, right. And these same young men were like, the fact that they could be walking around in a country and mm-hmm. not feel like they could look back and worry mm-hmm. about police. Like the sense of just like self-assurance, um, 
we so everyone says it's life-changing like a hundred percent yep everyone wants to go back multiple times to multiple countries they're like can we just stay here you should really make this a three-week thing i'm like guys we're planting the seed right we're working on it we're working on it no we can't give you three weeks because we got to get to the next group of people that need their 10-day experience there's, there's so many young people out there to impact with this and then over 90 percent can see themselves living and working on the continent Oh, that's from, the best part to me. Right? Like, from people who thought, like, oh, I could never go there, or I'm scared, or I don't know. And then their families, who may have been scared for them, realize yeah. they come back with all this enthusiasm. Yeah. So now their family members also want to, like, experience what it was like to be on the continent. So it is really this shift in um, understanding self, understanding the total uh, community of African descended people and feeling connected. Yeah. Right. So for so long as a diaspora, like our parents told us not to hang out with Black Americans. Let's be very real. That's a part of the systemic. Yep. I I got that message too. We've overcome that situation. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, we have those conversations at birthright because it's a it's a mix of all of us. It's African Americans, Afro Latinos, Afro Caribbeans. Um, and then continental Africans like us who grew up here in the U.S. And we're all dispelling these intramets <laughs> amongst each other. So that's the other powerful thing that happens. And then when they get on the continent, they're like making new friends yeah. and networks with people that they're going to work with. Like we have a young man who's already like trying to like building out a film project with one of the filmmakers he met over there. I so this it. is real, like the end goal is for you to take this connection culturally, mm -hmm. this understanding of our legacy of creativity and innovation, and literally move forward with it in the way that it feels right for you, whether you decide to um, stay the rest of your life in America or eventually go somewhere in the world. And we want somewhere in the world to include Africa as an option, mm -hmm. where before it never even felt like accessible. Now it's a real aspiration. Um, and so I'm really proud that like that has happened. Like that, that part about living and working, I wasn't expecting. And even from high school students who went to South Africa. Wow. It's a total shift. And I'm like, now I, I really truly feel like that connection cross continent will happen in a more seamless way. And, you know, we've had the benefit of going to school and working with each other mm -hmm. as, um, Sort of Gen X, early millennial, the millennial and Z, they know each other through the internet. Like right. I, I can listen to your music in real time, whereas before we had to get tapes recorded for us back right. in the day. <laughs> so that the real time connections, and that's why I'm excited about our virtual program because we're gonna start to do more and more of those peer connections. We're about to do uh, a, a recorded tour, if not live, of the Cape Coast, so a virtual return home. Wow. Because why do we have to not travel and explore? We could do it virtually. So we're trying to replicate and do everything that we would have done on Birthright uh, trips, local, national, and global on the continent, and just do it virtually. So there's um, just more life to, to, to impact and change and shift into this, you know, pride and confidence that ultimately that will help topple this system of racism from thinking it can continue to get over while white people solve their problem of racism let's be clear 
Like that still has to happen, but we now know we don't, we're not the ones who's supposed to fix it. That's been such a relief, right? And I can continue to empower black people. Like that's the work I'm supposed to do. I don't have to sit there and worry about you and you know, like the white folks who get it. Luckily I have a a number of those people on, on my friend circle now. And they're doing the work with the white folks that don't get it. And that's what I need you to do. For birthright, we're very clear about people not being just white allies, but what I call white accomplices, or not I call it, I learned the term white accomplice. And those are the people that take action. So for birthright, we not only have the scholars be of African descent, but the facilitators must be as well. Mm. So if you are a white leader at a nonprofit or a school, if you want to partner with Birthright, then we're happy for you to coordinate, create, you know, the funding structures, build out the program, but you can't go on the trip because we need safe black space. Yes. We cannot risk white gaze, white fragility, or what I call white reverence. Reverence being that extra level of treatment all of a sudden because there's a white person in the room and if you understand then you will be that white accomplice that will risk money position and or power to dismantle a system of racism and we need to give this opportunity to people who are over 30 and this is the way we do it Hmm. with our facilitators it's and i'm so glad i could be so unapologetic about it yeah and i think about you know the ancestral realm that george floyd brianna taylor and everyone who has died like Mm -hmm. the sacrifice and I see myself as this future ancestor to the yeah. future descendants that are going to look back at this time and know that we kept the fight going in the same way that our ancestors survived enslavement and colonization for us to just even be here at this level of freedom. Like, that's how we have to start thinking. This is a long-term game. Mm. So like you were saying, like, that's why I felt compelled to take my time with birthright because I was like, this cannot be done foolishly or incorrectly Um, and let me be strategic I went back to business school got an MBA I was like not only am I going to get the business skills but the networks of people that have money (laughs) and can access money (laughs) at at, at levels higher and so I just encourage everyone to be really strategic and Mm -hmm. long term and let's look at what our ancestors did to build us to get here including all the greatness like we had the Madam C.J. Walkers, the Garrett Morgans, yep. the Rosewoods, the Tulsas. During times of segregation, yep. there's no way that we cannot be as great in this time of even this level of freedom. And so if we have to revolt, like, let's do what we got to do. I'm, I'm here for it. Yes, everything you're saying, I'm like having waves of chills. It's, it's I'm like, let me get myself together, make sure I don't fall out my seat. I'm having waves of chills because you mentioned the healing. And it must be because, you know, that's what happened to me when any time that I touch down on the continent, it's like, mm-hmm. I always, it's, it's probably like a weird thing to say, but it's literally like Black Panther and that like, to go Mm -hmm. on the continent is like to be recharged by the earth and I'm so sad because I didn't get to physically go there I was supposed to go in March so I'm I'm Mm -hmm. like fiending I'm like fiending from (laughs) for my hit because I'm like I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be getting charged up you know and I really feel it I I, in my bones in my soul 
when I'm not there for a period of time, I recognize that there is a difference in my being by not touching down on the continent. And so when you say that the, everyone that's gone on the trip has, has had some level of experience with that, I already, mm -hmm. know, I already know that that's a thing, but I'm like, that's just like continued confirmation that I'm just like, yes, like this is, that's how we get charged up. That's how we, I don't know what's, well, I do know what's different about it. It's the motherland. Well, I mean, they say it's the air. It's like, the moisture in the air, the freshness, the smell of the air, the sun. Mm -hmm. Literally, I'm thinking of like one young woman who like the moment we stepped out of the airport was just like basking in the glory. Very spiritual young woman. And that thing about the soul, I'm suffering right now. It's so hard. I know I'm suffering right now because I was supposed to go in June and July. Mm -hmm. I'm literally just waiting for these Ghanaian borders to be open and other countries, um, I'll go to Tanzania and Kenya if I have to. You know, obviously I have more business to deal to do in Ghana. And we're making a lot more inroads there because they've just been so open and welcoming yeah. in the year of return. Um, but you know, I'm excited about Rwanda because I know you guys been kicking it out the park with the economic, <laughs> um, you know, gains and the genocide and just that level of that that story of resilience and um, brilliance. You know, we say resilience and brilliance because people, that's part of the devaluation. Like we no longer believe in this devalued narrative. And that is the way to overcome it. Um, I'm just, you know, I, I can't wait to, to get back to the continent personally. <laughs> yeah, only good lies ahead and I think that like you said it's when you know someone is tested or taken into question that they they seek more whatever that thing is so I feel like you know what um oppression thought was going to continue to break us down is actually going to have a reverse reaction in that it's mm -hmm. going to drive us to seek and understand ourselves better to return to you know our original ways of being um absolutely everybody gonna see it's already unfolding but it's going to be unfolding on new grander scales as we as we transition moving forward so that's what keeps me hopeful and keeps my spirit from being broken mm. because that's the other thing you can't let your spirit break in this is that I still see the, that silver lining in that we needed to go through this administration for this four years. Pray to God it's not another four because that I don't think I can take. But we needed to wake up to understand, to get back to the roots. Yes. Our roots of indigenous, tribal, village, community mentality. Because everything else is about exterior and capitalism and like attainment and wealth and, and it's in this negative sense, right? Where it's about more and more. It's like, no, you have so much abundance in just community mm -hmm. in whatever that is for you. And that was another one of those um, enlightening moments for me as a, as a founder that I learned from one of our facilitators. Shout out to Grow House New York City in Brooklyn. I continue to learn. I'm still learning about the system of racism, especially being a black immigrant. Yes child turned adult there's so much we still don't you know like we're still understanding 
yeah, our parents couldn't educate us on what they didn't know. This American history, American black history is not their history. So, and they were not getting that information from anywhere. So how could they educate us growing up here on something that's right. cool and they do not have the information to, to give, you know? So it's, it's a very, again, everyone's experience is different. There's so much diversity in, in our, our yeah. levels of understanding and it just, things continue to unfold as you learn, you find out more and you, then you have more questions, which is a good thing, but it, it's a constant process of staying a student, you know, and, and keeping yourself yeah. in a place that you're open to learn and to grow um, in the long run, because there's always, there's always more things to, to, to learn and yeah, and that's why we have our, our scholars think about their legacy of innovation 15 years out. It's a backwards mapping. Yes. I, I, I want you to think about what does your life look like 15 years out? Where are you living? Mm. What work are you doing that's purposeful, right? That is this life work. And then let's backward, backward map it 10, five in one year. I basically realized that's what I did to, to launch Birthright. So I am also like adopting from my own um, experience and story because I wanted to build the pride and confidence in me to feel like I could do this. this is, I was not just born with this pride and confidence either. Mm. That's again where education is such a key and differentiates. And whether it's your school, your parent or your community, you gotta get the right rootful that's even a word I think I just created it rooted education um like I even asked my parents a couple of years ago like why did you teach us about racism they're like we don't even know what it is to to or to we don't even if it happened to us we couldn't even understand that that's what was happening because yeah. like, oh they grew up in Sudan it was like an all black country or all you know same culture so they can't explain it in this sense, although they have their own experiences when I look back at it now in Sweden and whatnot. But it's also this idea of just like, sometimes I think our parents' generation has to downplay it a little bit yeah. just to survive. Yeah. We're not about that anymore. We're not here to survive just to survive. We've been there, done that. We're here to thrive. We're too resilient and too brilliant. We know enough. Even those of us who may not know the factual history, I see it in these young brothers that are yeah. protesting and sisters that are protesting. Like they know life is supposed to be better because they see it on TV now too and social media. Yeah. You can't fool people into thinking they're supposed to live in this destitute way. And um, now we're also just embracing this Africanness and we realize, okay, we were legit kings and queens and empowered our people from a village community mentality. Yes, there were wars and things that happened, yeah. but it was more defense. And that whole narrative about, oh, Africans enslaved other Africans. Yes, but what slavery was, was nowhere near what the European economic system of slavery was. It was, you could work your way to freedom or you kind of just like became part of the new community and developed you know, your own life after that. So I, I'm just, I'm excited. We're in a time and a place where people are seeking knowledge and gaining consciousness around every aspect of life. And the fact that health is now so tantamount because of the pandemic and racial justice is 
part of this mm-hmm. larger global conversation. I, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, it's this blessing in this in turbulence that we just have to continue to believe will get us to this other side. Um, and I, I'm just so thankful and grateful that this that I that this work called Birthright Africa gets to exist and that I get to be a part of it. That was my whole motivation when I discovered the concept. I was like, I have to be a part of this. And I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I legit was gonna be working in finance at Goldman Sachs for the rest of my life. I was like, this so is what got. I studied. <laughs> and so life has its plans. And that's another thing. Cause you know, an immigrant background, Listen. we're not encouraged to be entrepreneurs to the same degree some <laughs> of us are. But once you get that college job thing, but that's another dynamic at birthright. It's like, it's your life. It's yeah. your birthright. Well, connect to yourself. Use this cultural connection to then connect to every other part of yourself. Yes. And that includes how you see yourself leading and creating work that is purposeful and makes the difference for the next generation to come. And we are transforming those generations for the African diaspora for the rest of our lives in this way. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. That's all I really have in my heart, in my mind right now, is just to be able to have this conversation with you, to be able to use my platform to support, you know, what you're doing, to shoot it, shout it from the, the rooftops, um, because I think that it's necessary work. I, I back all of it, and I, I'm trying to hop on a trip. Now, I'll pay for my trip, but, <laughs> but I'm trying to come along. A, no, but you could be a facilitator. So that's I'm, what we yeah. tell. Yeah, so if you are, okay, so let's talk about the ways people could stay connected. Um, for one, we're on all the social medias. Follow us at Birthright Africa, IG, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, our website, www.birthrightafrica.org. You can um, sign up to a newsletter. Of course, you can donate. We essentially look to fund a 50% match for our education partners. And these are high schools, colleges, or community-based organizations around the U.S. for now, because we definitely have interest from abroad. And those education partners build out a birthright program that they allow their participants and community members Mm -hmm. to apply to that's built based on the birthright model we piloted with CUNY. And so if you're an education partner um, and helping to build out a program, you can volunteer to facilitate and your costs are covered within the scholar price that we um, have figured out. And yeah, so I get that question a lot, like, oh, but I'm over 30, how do I get to go? Well, if you work with an education partner, that's one. And two, honestly, if you're over 30, just save up the money. Go with a group like Tastemakers Africa. It's worth it. Save it over a couple of years. I mean, arguably, we were not going anywhere probably for like another um, year or two in groups, I would say. We're hoping summer 2021. Like, that's what I'm working on with our education partners. And at Birthright Africa, we're open to any country that seems safe to travel Mm -hmm. by the State Department. Scholars must be between the ages of 13 to 30 identifying Black African descent, U.S. citizen, 
that has not been to the continent after the age of 12. So that's the way we also know <laughs> who's an African immigrant child that actually got to grow up in Africa and you know, should arguably be connected. But yeah, we're excited. And there's going to be, like I said, this recorded tour virtually of the Cape Coast. And there's gonna be, I think a, we're working on a series of these kinds of virtual experiences. We do IG lives with our birthright alumni. We're having our registered scholars, which by the way, yes, if you're a young person who is looking for the birthright experience and qualifies under what I just shared, um, just go to our scholar registration on our website. It's also on our link tree, which you can find on the IG bio link and register with us. You're part of a database. We have over 23,000 young people around the country with like no marketing outside of the press that we've got. Wow. So imagine when things really like, we really put some marketing efforts. So we're excited that we can at least try to continue to engage these people. And honestly, we have to engage you until you get to go to your physical birthright. Mm -hmm. So we need these virtual programs. So what happened for us is realize, oh, we have to do virtual program even when we start traveling. It's a new, it's just a new program item. Um, so it's, you know, the possibilities are still endless for us to, to continue to engage and connect and have young people connect with their peers even virtually. There's an app that we're looking to work with called Guzo that I'm excited about, started by a black gentleman. We're very key about these leaders and entrepreneurs of African descent being part of our ecosystem. So if you're one of those people, if you're sitting at a corporation, you've started your own entrepreneurship and you want to give back. Mm -hmm. Come share your career and life story. You will be amazed at how impactful that is. That is part of the birthright. And especially if you've gone to the continent, you can share what that experience is so that they can anticipate it. Yeah. We have these innovation panels and workshops with our innovation partners. These are organizations managed, led, or owned by people of African descent. We are like unapologetically black, yes. all black, everything. So, you know, just, you know, if you want to volunteer, we have a volunteer forum. There's, there's a whole host of ways to be involved and connected. Like I said, my whole mentality was like, this is such a big idea. This is so much bigger than me. I know every third person I'm going to speak to is going to want to be a part of it. How does it get built in a way where everyone can? Mm -hmm. So the collaborative partner model is one I'm so excited about because, you know, you have your organization, others have theirs. And they're coming to us and saying they want to partner, whether they've seen it as the request in our, on our press or not. And so I'm so thankful that finally we can showcase ourselves as a unified people. Because yes. that's the other thing the system wants to make sure that you don't Vision. see or feel is that you're not unified within your own. Oh, but this that's new way of being... <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother, whole nother topic, but one in which, you know, if it took what it took with this craziness we're going through in this last few years to get to this place, mm. I've always said if there was a time in history that I would have wanted to live through the civil rights movement. Hey careful what you wish for. I got my <laughs> civil rights movement. 2020. 
Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm going to make sure all of the links are in the show notes so that people can find yeah. you easily and get connected wherever they feel is best for them. I'm going to get myself connected and stay connected because it's really important work. And so many people are searching and trying to find I, this exact thing. And so I'm yeah. so glad to be able to share the message. And I'm so thankful to just know that to, to be a part of, of knowing and being alive when something like this is happening. Because the crazy thing is right? my friend, her family's from Israel. So it's funny because the mm. same thing. She's like, yeah, I went on birthright trip. Same exact thing. And we share mm-hmm. so many, um, we share so many commonalities with other people that we don't even realize. Yeah. We yep. share. And everything that you said happen in collaboration and community in these conversations with each other. The more that we yep. have conversations and educate one another from a place of yep. love, even if it's not what we, what we want to hear, um, I think helps us all to move forward collectively. So I appreciate you to the moon and back and back again. Oh, thank you so much. No, thank you for this opportunity. It's literally having conversations with folks like you and then, you know, future education partners that are affirming the vision mm-hmm. that um, make me also so grateful to be alive at this time. I just think about that too, like, like I was born, right? And <laughs> alive at a time. And then to be the one that kind of just like can get to usher this in and use what my gifts are, right? Mm-hmm. This background in business, education, passion, desire and understanding of how to build a career to launch and really understand the sector and how to work with it. Like it's possible. And in spite of whatever obstacle comes your way, when you know your vision and your purpose, Hmm. you can't be touched. You really cannot. You can't. So thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, you have a few options. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it, and you'll be notified as new episodes are uploaded. You can also leave a review or send me your feedback. Doing so helps me to create content that's relevant to what you want to hear about. And last, you can share the podcast with a friend. Whether it's directly or sharing it on your social media, it helps them to know that you think that this is information that they need to hear about. Thank you.